You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. With over 8,000 threat hunters analyzing over 65 trillion signals daily, Microsoft works tirelessly with the federal government to keep our nation's data secure. This 30-year-plus partnership is driving mission innovation that is secure by design. Whether optimizing your existing defenses or tackling advanced threats with AI, Microsoft gives you the intelligence and the automation you need to defend at mission scale. Let's work together to stay ahead of emerging threats and secure your mission anywhere. Learn more at aka.ms slash fedcyber. That's aka.ms slash fedcyber. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Research Saturday. I'm Dave Bittner, and this is our weekly conversation with researchers and analysts tracking down threats and vulnerabilities and solving some of the hard problems of protecting ourselves in a rapidly evolving cyberspace. Thanks for joining us. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. I would really like to give them a real system to break into. And I thought the easiest way to do this would be to have um, a Docker image. That's Larry Cashdollar. He's a senior security response engineer at Akamai Technologies. The research we're discussing today is titled A Brief History of a Rootable Docker Image. I had been running some, some honeypot software in my uh, malware lab uh, that I run out of my home. And, um, you know, I was, I was running pretty standard stuff like Cowrie and uh, some other honeypots that were out there. And I just, I had noticed that a lot of the attacks had been dropping off after a few weeks. And what I had suspected was that the attackers had discovered that they were in, you know, indeed attacking the honeypot. Uh, the honeypot had been fingerprinted. Uh, somehow they, they realized that it wasn't actually a, um, a real server or a real system. Um, and they just stopped attacking my, my uh, IP addresses. And actually, actually, they stopped leaving malware on the honeypots. So, you know, I, I thought to myself, well, I, I would really like to give them a real system to break into. 
And I thought the easiest way to do this would be to have um, a Docker image where I could set up a Docker image on a, um, a closed off network in my lab that would only allow SSH connections in and then wouldn't allow any connections out except maybe perhaps for port 80 or port 443 because I, I wanted these attackers to be able to download their malware, which they usually do over HTTP or, or FTP. And I, I would figure through that, you know, that way I could at least collect some samples. And then I thought, you know, I probably would really want to watch their actions. And I had been interested in what sort of attacks were targeting SSH daemon enabled systems or SSHD systems that, that had actual SSH server running on it. Mm-hmm. So I decided to go back uh, many years ago. I was a sysadmin. We had some modified SSH software or an SSH daemon that would log all of the um, console connections or, or all of the session information and, and logging information to uh, a log file that, that was sent over the terminal. I thought to myself that I would augment that by also logging the username and passwords that, that were being logged into the, uh, the actual system or, or at least be able to, to document the list of credentials that the attackers were using to log into the system with. So this was a twofold snooping venture I had gone on where it would log the session information and also the credentials used to log into the system. So I had gone and found some old C code that had been archived for years that would log session information. Um, I had modified the SSH daemon myself to log the passwords and user names that were being logged in. And I had tested it on my network uh, myself. And, and once that was set up, I, I built a Docker image that would use this SSH daemon. And then I placed it on my malware network and just set it live. And after, I'd say, 15 to 20 minutes, the machine had been picked up and there were already login attempts against it. And um, I think it took maybe 45 minutes before somebody had logged into it and started installing an IoT botnet binary. And then maybe a few hours after that, somebody had logged in and installed a crypto miner. So it didn't take long for it to get attacked. And I thought, well, I probably should take it off the network after a day because I don't want a dozen different attackers on this stalker image all you know, muddling up the, the forensics that I need to do later. So after mm-hmm. the 24 hours had passed, I had taken the image off and, and saw what sort of damage had done and then began to document everything I saw. Yeah, and it's a, it's a remarkable thing that in 24 hours uh, you logged this variety of uh, attacks on this system. Can we go through them together one at a time? What, uh, what did it look like? The, the first thing that I really noticed was it seemed like different groups used different a different collection of known credentials. So typically with what was happening with the Docker image was that um, the attackers were using a list of either known default passwords or logins or ones that they had collected from other systems. And they would try and brute force their, their way into the system by, by guessing the root password or, or a login to the system. The usernames ranged between root to Oracle to Mary to Jason to root with zeros. It was all sorts of different usernames. The passwords were wildly all over the place. Some of them looked pretty complex. 
So they look like they had been picked up by a, a previously compromised system. I noticed that while the groups use different login credentials, each group would use the system for a different criminal activity. So the first group that had logged in, they had installed a, uh, an IoT botnet binary on there. Yeah, I think that one was, I think the first one was a Mirai botnet variant, if I can remember correctly. And, and that one had been modified from the original Mirai botnet. You know, this one not only would scan for SSH connections and telnet connections, but it had built in exploits for things like ThinkPHP and the um, TP-Link GPON router vulnerabilities um, that, that would also compiled into this uh, IoT botnet that, that first infected the Docker image. And then shortly after that, there was an interesting piece of crypto mining malware that had been installed on the system. That one had actually added other users to the system, and it actually uh, attempted to change the root password. I, I think it was, um, was it Haiku? I'm trying to remember the password that they used to try and change. Um, and that one, uh, that one was trying to mine, I think it was XMR or Monero. The other thing about that one was that you could almost determine what the criminals were going to do depending on which login credentials they used to log in. The crypto mining malware, they were using credentials. Uh, I think Root Root was one of the ones that they were using a lot to, to try and guess. There was Oracle Oracle, Root Oracle, www, www. And if the person logged in with that login credential, uh, they would most likely use it as a crypto mining system. And I, you know, if you think about the actual logins, Oracle, Oracle, and, and www, those would be more like some, some sort of login you would find on a more enterprise level system versus, you know, a system that's an IOT device that had the default Mirai logins of, you know, root, root, or root, um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, um, and that system would be used for either an IoT botnet or some sort of um, SSH proxy because that, that system was a low-level IoT system that didn't have the performance you'd use for mining cryptoware, whereas the, you know, the one that was using the credentials that had to do with Oracle or a web server would be more likely an enterprise-level system, and that system was used for crypto mining. So you could sort of determine what the system would be used for based on the credentials they were using to try and log in with it. Uh, one of the other interesting things that had come up was the, uh, there was a, a SOX proxy that uh, somebody had used the SSH daemon for. They didn't use the system as a shell or, or do anything on the system besides relay mail through the SSH server uh, into a Dovecot mail relay and that turned out to be a, um, a criminal activity where it wasn't just relaying spam mail. It was relaying email that would, had to do with a work-from-home scam. So, mm. you know, I noticed the mail was correspondence between multiple people using a credit card to buy high-end devices from brick-and-mortar stores. So one was talking about buying three or four random things with a credit card at one place was Apple store. One place was at Best Buy. The other place was at like micro center and they were buying things like, uh, you know, the latest Apple watch. And then they bought 
a MacBook Air. And then, you know, and they did that at Apple. And then at Best Buy, they bought a Lenovo notebook. And then they went to Staples and they bought another laptop or uh, like a tablet. And then talking about sending receipts back to this other person and then talking about, you know, using the credit card and then getting their money in return. And we realized that, that it was a work from home scam where somebody says, you know, hey, you can work from home, make these purchases and then mail me the items that you purchased. And then I'll send you money through PayPal, you know, based on the purchase you bought. And then the person who actually receives the items that were mailed to them, go and sell it on, you know, the underground or black market or, or dark web for a fraction of what they cost. They never send the person that purchased the, the devices any money at all. So that person ends up getting, you know, in trouble for fraud. Uh, the victim, they actually are, are, you know, end up getting tracked down. They're, they're criminally charged with, with fraud by buying, you know, items on a, on a stolen or, or fake credit card. And then the scammer who actually convinced that person to be their mule and, and actually go out and buy this stuff sells it for a fraction of the price and makes an easy, you know, four, five, six hundred dollars on an item that they bought for eight hundred uh, because, you know, to them, it's easy money. So, you know, that was something that we believed was going on. And I actually had sent what I had logged to law enforcement so that they can investigate and, uh, you know, sent them all the everything that I had collected. So. In a lot of ways, this surprised me because I didn't expect to see mail being relayed through a proxy server that was set up through my SSH daemon. And I didn't expect to see certain clusters of user credentials that had been harvested by specific groups used for specific targeted attacks. I, you know, I half expected that there were large swaths of collected username and login credentials that had been stolen or, you know, pulled through SQL dumps and things like that, that the criminals sort of shared. And it seemed like each criminal entity had their own collection of credentials to use and try in a brute force attack. So I thought that was kind of an interesting glimpse into how these groups operate. Yeah, I I agree. And it's, I wonder, was there any sense that, um, after the initial scan happened, in other words, the, the, the folks who are, are looking for this open system or this available system, this connected system, after they find that it's there, was there any sense, um, like like an increase in activity? In other words, did they put the word out? Hey, folks, we've got a hot one here. Let's start pounding on this one. Yeah, that's what I kind of, that's the next thing I kind of like to investigate because that's what I was wondering myself. You know, I noticed that I don't see, I'll see a little bit of traffic coming in for a specific port. And then suddenly, once that port is, is open, a lot more traffic eventually starts coming in pretty quickly from other IP addresses from around the world. So I'm not sure if groups are communicating with each other or, which doesn't seem to make any sense to me, but I'm not sure how the information is distributed among teams. Yeah, because I suppose on the other hand, they, uh, they would want to keep this resource to themselves. Right. And that's what I don't understand is why, why after only a few minutes does my system suddenly start to get a lot more traffic from various IP addresses? Perhaps it's one actor who is, you know, using other IP addresses to do their scanning and they, 
you know, those IP addresses are notified. And I'm thinking it's other actors when it might be one, but it's, it's an interesting thing, you know, and I, I'm working now to try and just look at traffic showing up on my network that never actually had any, you know, business being there. Like if I had, say I had Microsoft's, you know, a packet show up to try and connect to Microsoft's RDP server, a SIM packet. I've never had Microsoft RDP on my network before. So I'm curious to see how long after I perhaps, you know, open that port up, how long after that do I start seeing malicious attempts against that port? So that's something else that I'm starting to investigate in my lab. So what are your recommendations here? What can folks do to best protect themselves? If you were going to put an SSH daemon out on the internet, I would recommend only allowing key uh, SSH, SSH RSA key access to that system. Uh, I would disable password logins and perhaps stick it on a on a different port. Um, 22 was highly scanned for, so you might want to be more obscure. Uh, maybe put on a, on a different non-standard port, uh, like 552 or you know some other odd port. Um, even port 222 and 2222 are scanned now for SSH daemons, so those hiding spots are kind of known. And then, you know, make sure whatever service you're running on the internet is patched regularly. Uh, Just keep an eye on that vendor and their updates to make sure that if there's a vulnerability discovered, that you're quick to patch your systems. Our thanks to Larry Cashdollar from Akamai for joining us. The research is titled A Brief History of a Rootable Docker Image. We'll have links in the show notes. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the dark net, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. The Cyberwire Research Saturday is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.